I'm looking at a camera that's up high and my notes are down here, so I hope you can stay with me as we turn to think about what God might want to say to us this morning as we begin this new series. I want to read a story that I love. I've read it before. I make absolutely no apology for reading it. I love this story. I think this story, um, I could give it the title, Against All Odds. I wonder what you think. This is a story told by John Eldredge. One of the most haunting experiences I ever had as a man took place on a summer day in Alaska. My family and I were sea kayaking with humpback whales in the icy strait, and we stopped off the shore of Chicago Island for lunch. Our guide asked us if he wanted to go for a hike into the interior of an island to a clearing where grizzlies were known to feed. We were all over that invitation. After a 20-minute walk through the spruce forest, we came into what appeared to be a broad, open meadow about 400 yards across. Being midday and hot, there were no bears to be seen. They're sleeping now, through the afternoon. They'll be back tonight, he said. Come here, I want to show you something. The meadow was actually more of a bog, a low-lying jungle of brushy undercover, about two feet high, barely supported underneath by another foot of soaked moss and peat. A very difficult place to walk. Our guide led us to a trail of what seemed to be massive footprints, with a stride of about two feet between them, pressed down into the bog and making a path through it. It's a marked trail, he said. A path created by footprints of bears. This one is probably centuries old. For as long as the bears have been on this island, they've taken this path. The cubs follow their elders, putting their feet exactly where the older bears walk. That's how they learn to cross this place. I began to walk in the marked trail, stepping into the firm, deep-worn places where bears had walked for centuries. I'm not sure how to describe the experience, but for some reason the word holy comes to mind. An ancient path, uh, sorry, an ancient and fearful path through a wild and untamed place. I was following a proven way laid down by those much stronger and far more prepared for this place than me. And though I knew I did not belong there, I was haunted by it, could have followed that path for a long, long time. It awakened some deep, ancient yearning in me. An ancient path through a treacherous and untamed place. I don't know about you and how you have found the last five months, but I have found it a challenge. It began simply by trying to figure out what it actually meant to be in lockdown once we were told we were actually in lockdown. If I'm being really honest, one of the first things that got me panicked, and please don't laugh too much about this, is the thought of not being able to get a haircut. Sadly, the truth. It seems silly now, but I actually woke up in the middle of one night panicking about what I would do with my hair. Other, more serious challenges became apparent. How would, how would I find food now that everyone had taken our delivery slot from Tesco? 
I began to worry about how to find rice and bread. The shelves in the shops were bare. I began to be concerned about my work as a chaplain at East Surrey and, and the possibility of visiting people who had been uh, tested and found positive for the virus. I began to realize that there was a greater risk for people who were there on a day-to-day -day basis and who were far more involved in me in hospital work and care for the elderly. I became concerned about my mum living on her own and how she would find the challenge of lockdown. How would she cope? Then there was the realization that work might be affected. Now, like many other charities and businesses, Relate, which is where Lisa works, lost 90% of its income overnight. How would it survive? How would it manage? How would we manage? And I watched as, like many others, Lisa battled every minute of every day so that when and if lockdown ended, Relate was still functioning. And then church suddenly became radically different to anything I have ever known. Technology is great, and it has been great, and it will continue to be great, and it's especially great if you understand how it works and how to use it. I knew neither, and I still don't really. It's a massive learning curve for me. How on earth do you do church if you can't gather together? Like many people, I found pretty much everything I knew and understood turned completely upside down. And like many of you, I found myself working harder than ever simply to try and make life work. Well, it turns out I wasn't alone. The Office for National Statistics recorded that in late March this year, over 25 million adults were affected by high levels of anxiety as lockdown was set. They found that the number of people reporting deep levels of concern and stress had more than doubled since late 2019. More than doubled. People were understandably concerned and worried about their jobs, their health, their finances, their families. The COVID pandemic had caused many to suffer anxiety in these last months. And like me, you may be one of them. But there is a sad truth that lies beyond the statistics of these last few months. And what I'm going to say is not to try and soften the impact of the anxiety that many people have experienced and are still experiencing due to the pandemic. There are real genuine concerns about health and finance and jobs and families. But an article in the Independent newspaper at the end of 2018 found that the, um, the cases of stress and anxiety had soared in the decade to that point. According to the article, based on data from the National Health Service, there has been a 28% increase in hospital admissions for stress and anxiety in the last decade. According to one study, one in every three people is likely to feel stressed for at least a day once a week. Let me just say that again. One in every three people is likely to feel stressed for at least a day every week. The Office for National Statistics reports a rise in the cases of stress and anxiety at work too. And you may be familiar with that. A rise, it turns out, of 34% over the decade. And the same study states that 44% of all work-related illness 
is connected to stress and anxiety. Ten years ago, that figure was 35%. One founder of a company quoted by The Independent stated this, stress and anxiety is now a problem that we, as individuals and a country, cannot afford to ignore. The truth, it seems, is that we are becoming more anxious. So, how are you doing? Anxiety is not always a bad thing. In fact, a level of anxiety is often needed to help us be at our best. Think of it this way. Who hasn't been at least a little bit anxious when going for an interview? In this kind of situation, anxiety can help us. In this kind of situation, being anxious can keep us alert, able to listen attentively to the questions that we're asked, and able to help us um, answer them with the information that we know. A level of anxiety will help to protect us about a co- um, from coming across as being complacent, which perhaps is a quality that won't serve us well in an interview. I get anxious every week, friends, believe me. Um, Without fail, before every live stream and before every service and especially before I preach. Sandra and I, as you know, had the privilege of going to share with um, Monica Thornton's family this week in Norwich the celebration of Monica's life. It was a lovely uh, afternoon together. And um, I was asked to speak at that service. I've done that many times before, speaking in funeral services. But before I spoke, my heart was pounding, my mind was racing, and I was actually quite anxious. But in that context, it helps me focus and say clearly what I hope will be words of comfort and encouragement. There are many circumstances where a certain level of anxiety helps us to be at our best. But... There comes a point where a high level of anxiety can be unhelpful, destructive, and at its worst, harmful. We all experience anxiety. For most of us, most of the time, that's fine. But for some of us, some of the time, and for some of us, most of the time, anxiety becomes unhelpful. Anxiety might be best described as asking, what if? Maybe you recognize that. Maybe you find yourself asking, what if, a lot of the time? What if I lose my job? What if this goes wrong? What if my health suffers? What if I don't have enough money? What if my children turn out differently to the way I hope and expect? At its worst, anxiety can dominate our thinking, affect our behaviour and cause our well-being to suffer. And here's the challenge. Now I want you to be very careful and very wise about how you choose to hear what I am now going to say. Because I realize that some of you will hear what I say and it will in fact cause you to become anxious. That's, that's not a joke, I'm being serious. 
That is not my intent, but it may happen because you are already anxious. Now, if that happens, and if I'm honest, if I was listening to myself right now, knowing what I am going to say, that would probably happen to me. I invite you to stay with me for a moment and hear me out. The challenge, the truth, is that God does not intend for us to live in a heightened state of anxiety. Let me say that again. The truth is that God does not intend for us to live in a heightened state of anxiety. Anxiety can be a gift that brings out the best in us. But God has no desire for us to live in a state of anxiety that becomes destructive or harmful. Now my best guess is, those of us who wrestle with this might already be thinking of ourselves as a failure because we know we struggle with it and now we're being told by the vicar that we shouldn't be like that. Well, that's not quite what I'm saying, so hear me out. Let me say this to you. This is not about condemnation. It's absolutely not. This is actually about love. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life to the full. Jesus' desire is that we live well, even in second choice worlds. God has our best interest at heart, always. If you struggle with high levels of anxiety, there may be some work to do, but that is because you are greatly loved with a love that makes you beautiful. You are greatly loved with a love that makes you beautiful, and God's greatest desire is that you live well. So I want to say something really important here. Sometimes praying with a friend will help with our anxiety. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do. Sometimes it will not be. And for some of us, a way to healing and wholeness will be through God's gift of a trained therapist or a counsellor or a psychologist or through medication or a combination of those things. The point, and it's an important one, is that we might need to seek help from our GP and others, and we would do well to think of those things as a gift from a loving Heavenly Father. Now, truth be told, I am right now a little anxious because some of you are thinking, well, Ian, Ian's lost the plot. This is supposed to be a sermon. Well, friends, the challenge remains for all of us. In Luke 21, 34, Jesus warns, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. How are you doing, friends? Psalm 37, verse 8 says this, do not fret, it only causes harm. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes out with these words, don't worry about life. Huh? Don't worry about life. We live in a world which gives us lots of cause to worry and lots of cause 
to be anxious. The world is um, changing at breakneck speed, isn't it? It's always changing. According to research, the world's environment and social order has changed more in the last 30 years than it did in the previous 300. That's an acceleration of change, and we have to try and live in it and cope with it and do it well. Life moves faster and faster despite all our modern technology. Many of us live lives under pressure of simply trying to make life work. Our jobs, our health, our family, with all its challenges and joys. And right now, we all live in a time which actually has a very uncertain future, don't we? So, here's the challenge again. There is an ancient path that runs through the uncertainty of life in all its complexities. There is an ancient path that can help us as followers of Christ to navigate a way through what is often treacherous ground. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing. Actually, he says, do not be anxious about anything. So how does that make you feel? Do not be anxious about anything. It might have been more helpful if he'd said, be anxious only about the really big stuff. I can go with that one. Or maybe be anxious for less. I could do well with that one. But he says, be anxious for nothing. He writes it in the present active tense. What? Oh no, that's a really good thing. He doesn't mean be anxious about absolutely nothing. That's not what he's writing. That's impossible. We can't not be anxious as humans. We've already talked about the fact that a level of anxiety in some cases is a really good thing and it brings out the best in us. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul means when he writes this is don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Don't live with a heightened sense of anxiety which will become harmful and destructive. Max Licardo, writing about this topic, interprets these words this way. Don't let anything in life leave you perpetually breathless and in angst. Don't let anything in life leave you perpetually breathless and in angst. The truth is that the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is not. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is not. That's really important. And there's the challenge. So the question becomes, how will you choose to live? Paul's words, be anxious for nothing, come in a really important context, and it's a context we're going to dwell in. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, and I'm guessing you will know these words really well. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer by thanksgiving, prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned from me or received from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. In these verses, there are four admonitions. That's things that we are invited or encouraged to do that lead to one fantastic promise. Here it is, the promise. That the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. That's the promise. Now, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at these verses to help us navigate away through what is often an anxiety-inducing, treacherous world. We are going to walk this ancient path together. In verse 4, we are encouraged to celebrate God's goodness. We're going to explore what that means together. In verse 6, Paul invites us to ask for God's help. We will explore that together. Again, in verse 6, Paul exhorts us to give our concerns to God with thanksgiving. We're going to explore how we might do that together. And in verse 8, Paul invites us to meditate on good things. So we will explore that together. Now, you might have a Kindle, and it turns out that the Bible is the Kindle's most highlighted book. And Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, are the most highlighted verses in the most highlighted book. Maybe those verses are highlighted in your Bible. We're going to look at them together in these next weeks. In Alaska, bears followed an ancient path laid down by those who had gone before them so they could navigate their way through treacherous ground. We're going to walk this ancient path together, a path laid down by the God who loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. The God who has your best interest at heart. And the God who loves you with a love that makes you beautiful. I'm wondering if what we're going to be doing over these next weeks together might be something like this. There was once a town in the high Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by strings that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, renew, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. 
No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs were untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bread. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the, same, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. It may feel like a huge challenge for some of us, but let's walk this ancient path together so that against all odds, we may be able to live as God intended. Amen.